Welcome to episode four of the official International Rugby League podcast brought to you by Chasing Kangaroos. I'm your host as always, Michael Carboni, and on this episode, I'm joined by three special guests to talk European World Cup qualifiers. But before I introduce them, I want to share my thoughts on what happened in the Southern Hemisphere over the weekend. So we had some huge results, of course. Uh, Fiji Bardi, 44 to 18 over Toa Samoa. And uh, yeah, Fiji now after that win, uh, most likely to be elevated to Oceania Group A in 2020. Um, of course, they still have a match this weekend against Papua New Guinea, uh, but Papua New Guinea would have to beat them by at least 35 points uh, for for Fiji not to go through. So that means next year we're going to see New Zealand, Tonga and Fiji in the Oceania Cup, which I think, I don't know what you how you feel, guys, but I think it has a real origin feel about it and I think it's fantastic. In the next match, it was, it was a close one between the New Zealand Kiwis, 12, and the Great Britain Lions, 8. Uh, Roger Tuovasashek really turned it on at the end of the game, which is what that game really needed. Uh, it was a little bit quiet before then, very tough struggle but uh, the Kiwis came out on top. Great Britain have a chance for revenge next week, and boy, don't they need to prove themselves because uh, it's very possible that they could um, be going to Papua New Guinea or Port Moresby in a couple of weeks' time without a win under their belt on this tour, and I'm sure they wouldn't want to be doing that. So they've got some injuries. I think they've only got one specialist winger left, so it's going to be difficult for them. Uh, Let's see what happens in the rematch this weekend. And finally, the biggest result, the biggest upset in International Rugby League history. I'm calling it the greatest day for International Rugby League. That's in my opinion. It's the first time that Australia has lost to a T2 nation. The Tongan Invitational, of course, beating the Australian Kangaroos 16 points to 12. I was cheering for Tonga. I felt Tongan. Um, it's very un-Australian of me to say that, but I think it's the best result for International Rugby League. And I do hope that we see more Australia versus Tonga in the future. My takeaways and some ideas uh, from these from these results, uh, and these are just my thoughts, so by no means is it anything official from the International Rugby League, just my ideas, but I really hope that we hear an announcement soon. The Kangaroos need to announce tour dates and grounds. They need to start promoting their kangaroo tour for, of uh, of. England in 2020. Now we know they're playing three tests against England or we we assume they're playing three tests against England and hopefully they find time to stop in places like France and Wales as well. Uh, We heard have heard recently that some of the clubs like St Helens or Wigan, even the Toronto Wolfpack would like to play the Kangaroos and make this an old school kangaroo tour. I'm not sure if that will happen, but at the very least, I'd love to see them stopping off in France either before or at the end of their tour. I know they'll most likely be stopping off in New Zealand for for a game against the Kiwis on their way over. So lots of international rugby league coming up in 2020. The other some other takeaways, Fiji they have been incredible. I think they're the next likely Pacific side to follow the Tongan route. And I think they really need to play a full strength Fijian side in Suva up against uh, some quality opposition. I'd love to see it in 2020. And if they're in the Oceania Cup, then the perfect time to see that would be Fiji versus New Zealand. I'd love to see it at the end of the year in Suva, 25 to 30,000 screaming Fijian fans. I think it would be incredible for our sport in Fiji and in the Pacific in general. Uh, As I say, by no means is that official, just my opinion. Um, Some other things I'd like to see, Oceania Cup, we need to have a grand final in 2020. Uh, it's the one thing that was missing this year. We had Australia, New Zealand and Tonga all winning a game each uh, in that Group A. 
but Australia winning on taking the cup on for and against, it just doesn't seem right to me. I know we're building, I know we're growing, and as of 2020, I'd love to see a grand final in there. Maybe even consider expanding expanding the top group to four nations in 2022 as well. And the Northern Hemisphere, well, they need to up their game because the Southern Hemisphere is growing in leaps and bounds. And speaking of the Northern Hemisphere, today's episode of the International Rugby League podcast, I'm joined by my guest, Chris Thayer. He's a general manager of Rugby League European Federation. I've got George Stilianos. He's the president of the Greek Rugby League Association. And Orazio Dado, he's the president of the Federazione Italiana Rugby League. Later on, I'll be speaking to Emily Rudge. She's the captain of the English Women's Rugby League side. Now, guys, before we get into that conversation with the guys from Europe, I will say that I have had some um, longer conversations about Italy and Greece in particular. So if you want to go back to episode 16 of Chasing Kangaroos, it's called Rugby League in Italia. I spoke with Orazio Dardo at length about the future plans for Italy uh, and their domestic competition earlier this year. So we might touch on that a little in our roundtable discussion in this episode. But if you want to hear more, you can go back to episode 16 of Chasing Kangaroos. If you want to talk about, if you want to hear about the Greek situation, and there's obviously been a lot happening in Greece over the last couple of years, we may touch on that with George uh, in this episode. But if you want to hear some more, you can go back to episode 19 of Chasing Kangaroos. It's called RS Eagle Rock with Stuart McLennan, who was the coach of the RS Eagles over in the domestic competition. We talk a lot about uh, rugby league in Greece. And also episode 25 of Chasing Kangaroos is called Hashtag Let Greece Play, which was a discussion with Gavin Willisey. We, we touched on the Greek situation amongst other things as well. So three great episodes to go back and listen to if you enjoy the conversations tonight. But now without any further ado, my conversation with Chris, George and Orazio from Europe. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to start the conversation. So I've got the general manager of rugby league of the rugby league European Federation, all the way from from Manchester, Chris Thayer. Chris, how are you, mate? Hi, Michael. Yeah, good to speak to you. <laughs> I've got George Stilianos from Athens, the president of the Greek Rugby League Association. George, good to finally be speaking to you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. <laughs> and all the way at the moment in Lignano, my good friend Orazio Daro, the president of the Federazione Italiana Rugby League. Raz, how are you, buddy? I'm great, mate. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> Guys, we've got plenty to talk about. Obviously, there's been a lot of action happening in the Southern Hemisphere, but I'm really keen to talk about what's going on in Europe. Of course, we had some World Cup qualifiers. And actually, Ratz, I might start with you because Italy defeated Spain 34-4, to which means for the third time in a row, Italy have qualified for the World Cup. Mate, how's it feel? Mixed emotions. A lot of relief um, that we've, we're finally over the line. The World Cup plays a big platform in growing the game, but always trying to improve and uh, get the domestic game moving forward. How do we use this as as a way to develop the game further in Italy, mate? Um, It's had an automatic positive result on two fronts. There's been a a big push to have more inclusion of domestic players against the island match, but also moving through players now have an opportunity to go forward and represent their country in uh, the biggest world event. Um, but also, interestingly, even though Italy's not in the uh, Ladies World Cup, we had a massive amount of interest 24 hours post-off women's asking questions, how can they be involved? And uh, funnily, George is in the podcast that came up about playing uh, Greece. 
Well, there we go. So a very big effect. Italy big versus effect. Greece and the women's potentially coming up. Uh, George, your guys um, obviously lost to Scotland 42-24. to 24. Still a chance to make it to the World Cup. But you must be really proud of the, of the boys. 24-all with 20 minutes to go. Um, just amazing. Yeah, it was uh, a great result. Look, we never expected to beat Scotland, let's be honest. Um, and especially after, I think, seven minutes in, we were, we were 10 nil down. So... In the back of my mind, I was hoping it wasn't going to be another Scotland-Serbia result. Uh, but they fought back. Uh, we got it to 18-all, then 24-all at one stage. And then a few late tries, and we had the 42-24 scoreline, which I still think is very respectable. It is respectable. And like I said, 20 minutes ago, it was all drawn up. And I, I had I had a thought in my mind that maybe Greece could pull off the upset of the year. Of course, it happened a few days later with Tonga and Australia, but I thought Greeks were going to pull off a massive yeah. upset. You guys played really well in the forwards. I think maybe there was a few issues in the outside backs defensively, but guys like Robert Robert Teletau, Billy Magulius, uh, Stefanos Bustos, they played really well. Who impressed for you, George? Well, I'll be honest. I was watching in a bar in Athens. We had 55 people of our people show up, so it was an electric atmosphere. I still haven't watched the replay, so a lot of it is still a blur to me. <laughs> I bet it is. Um, I'm, I'm going to, it's been a hectic week, so when I get some time, I'm going to sit down and watch it. But from the bits and pieces I do remember, I thought Robert Tuliatu was very impressive. I, I thought it was one of his best games. And then we, we've got the usual suspects uh, our captain, Jordan Meads, uh, Peter Mamuzelos, a constant threat at, um, at hooker, dummy half, where he plays. Um, but yeah, like I say, a lot of it's a blur. You know, I had people talking to me constantly. We had some technical issues to sort out. So I, I didn't get to sit and watch and enjoy the game. So I have to go back <laughs> at some point and watch it properly. Well, it's definitely worth watching again. It was a good one. Really interesting because Scotland, lots of experience, a load of experience. In, in fact, they had 263 NRL games between them in that squad, 396 Super League games. For Greece, there was two NRL games of experience in that squad. And, you know, on paper, you'd probably think Scotland should have won by a hell of a lot more. Um, for me, I actually thought you guys were a chance. We spoke about it earlier. Earlier on in the week, I, I made a, an announcement on Twitter that I thought Greece would win. You asked me, you know, if I truly believed it. And for me, it was, you know, guys like Billy Magulius, who has played really well for, for Newtown and, and Cronulla for a couple of games this year. He's done some great things. And I just really think he can translate. He could have translated that. Um, to the international game as well. I think there's a lot to build on for Greece and over the next couple of years, if you guys do make a World Cup, it's going to be impressive. Um, the big one, of course, is against Serbia for you next week. Um, and George, you probably don't like me saying, but I think Greece might actually start favourites. Uh, yeah, I think we are and we know that. You only have to look at the both our scorelines with Scotland. So I think no one likes the favourite tag, but I think in this case we are. But I'm sure the, the players and the coach especially who are coming from a professional background, um, that's not going to affect them. I'm sure they know how to handle it, not to underestimate their opponent. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it won't be on their mind. They'll be expecting the toughest match possible. It's going to be a huge one in Belgrade. And, and speaking of locations, um, some of our listeners may not be aware of why Greek's home game was played in London. There's obviously a lot going on back home uh, between the the GRLA and the government. Can you shed a little bit of light, of light as to where we are on that subject? Yeah, so it's a long story. As you know, some some of your listeners have followed it, some haven't. Um, but basically, we're basically trapped in a 
no man's land of not being recognised by the local government, but recognised by the International Federation. So we had elections um, and a, a new party got in. So one that we're expecting to be less hostile than the previous one, or the people affiliated with it, I should say. Um, but we haven't we haven't had time to pursue it because we're focusing obviously on national team. We had a women's and a men's international in September that was a big event in Turkey. We've had a lot going on in the domestic scene. So once the dust settles after the Serbia match, uh, that's going to be our number one priority to meet with some government officials. Uh, and hopefully get this sorted out once and for all. Chris, is there some support coming from the RLEF as well to help Greece, I guess, be recognised by their, their local government? There is indeed. There's, there's a lot of work taking place in the background that isn't publicised. But there's the international body through Danny Kazanzian has reached out to the, to the government and the modern ta- pentathlon body within, within Greece and I've also reached out to the European modern pentathlon body that controls rugby league in Greece uh, to see if they can assist. We keep hitting brick walls, but I'm sure we'll smash through it at some point in the future. Awesome. That's fantastic. And I, I do think that, you know, perhaps a World Cup qualification could do the world of good for this situation. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure. But um, we'll see what happens, Greece versus Serbia next week. Guys, I want to talk a little bit about, and, and Chris, we will talk a little bit more about Europe as a whole, but I really want to get some info from, from George and from Ratz um, as, from, about their domestic competitions. So, um, Ratz, I'll start with you. Tell me a little bit about, so there was also an Italia A side playing against Germany um, yes. as a curtain raiser to this yep. Italy-Spain game. Germany won 26-6. A yep. lot of those players from Italia A would have come from your domestic championship is that correct 100 percent of those players came from domestic championship we did have simone boscolo and michele Lockyo who have just finished seasons in brisbane australia yep but all of the players come from uh, the domestic comp very proud of them considering they played a german side that had a large english influence and um a lot more experienced than our guys. What does the domestic scene look like over there at the moment? So you and I have spoken in the past about, you know, clubs, you know, yep. forming a, a championship and we've spoken more recently about a winter championship. Can you tell me a little bit about who they are, when it's starting and, and where these players are coming from? So we've just come off and, um, and we have had over past years a summer series. We were able to play eight games this year. Where we found problem with the summer is that it's not a commitment to uh, rugby league in such. It's it's uh, off-season to rugby. The move, which is a bold move at the moment, to a winter comp training has already started. We're moving forward with six teams, but with possible two further teams entering that. So we're looking at eight teams. And the whole idea is to have consistent games with a series of magic rounds where teams and clubs will be invited to participate in nines events, so on those magic days, to give them exposure to rugby league and and have a small base and build up from that base. But the qualification that's just sort of has come through has given the impetus to the players to get involved and having a coach 
as in Leo Epifania, who is very heavily for domestic growth. There's been a very positive week for the Italian Federation. Tell me a little bit about how you guys, you know, develop some of these domestic players because you've mentioned Michele Occolo, who's playing in Brisbane at the moment. He, he's yeah. from the Saluzzo system. Uh, guys like Charlie Cellarino, who, who started in Italy, of course, and probably one of the most high-profile Italian-born yeah. players. Uh, what's the plan with these guys? So we're going to have, obviously, the main focus is growing a consistent, reliable domestic competition, which will produce players from a grassroots, but also developing and, and using touch rugby league and Austag formats within schools. Someone who doesn't get very much kudos for his work is Tiziano Franchini. And I can tell you that continuously over the past four years, Tiziano has been involved with delivering rugby league programs to schools and being involved with up to 3,000 kids um, and, and bringing the game of Oztag and Touch Rugby League to them has been a, is a very big influence. A key thing that we're also doing is via partnerships with Australian clubs. So we have a big player and that is Carina Rugby League in Brisbane had three players this year and they're looking to do so again next year. So our view is if we can have Tully, four to five clubs take two to three players every year, we, we should be giving anywhere from 10 to 20 players an Australian experience, but also a rugby league experience, which will then come back. And you actually notice in Australia the, the, the growth of Michele and Simone and their development as players. But then it was very, very evident. Um, Simone got man of the match and his improvement was being out of sight. Um, he's hunting. He actually got personal goals. He wants to go to England. Yep. But I can pass on, I think, uh, a partnership with Australian clubs in conjunction with domestic growth will really improve our quality of players. And, and as we move forward every World Cup, we wish to increase the number of heritage players that are in, in our squad. The domestic, the domestic players and the domestic scene has always been really important to the European members. And a, a member-led initiative that was brought in a number of years ago, it, it relates to a, a domestic quota ruling where you, in the international side, you've got to have a certain amount of players from your domestic programme. And so the, the international team always, always relates to the the domestic program and it's not it's never just a, a team of, of heritage players and the the european nations take great pride in that and and seeing those domestic players perform with the top nrl and super league players in, in the national side I, th I think it's important and you know as a sport we cop some criticism uh from having heritage players and I think most of the time that's unfairly. Obviously, at the moment, we're in a position where there needs to be a good mix of both. You need heritage players that are going to improve the standard of play, especially at a World Cup or in World Cup qualifications, but also to teach some of these these domestic players, you know, some of the some of the, the rules of the game. I think, Arazio, your, your plan of having, I guess, an apprenticeship as such for some of these players in Australia is going to do wonders for the domestic game over there. Chris, tell us a little bit more about... So you said a certain number. What are those numbers exactly? How many players, you know, in a World Cup, for example, need to come from the domestic, uh, the domestic quota? In the World Cup qualifiers, it's four in the 19 or two in the 17. But it's important to note that it's just an RLEF ruling this. It's not 
at the World Cup or it's not a ruling within the Asia Pacific. Yeah. So this is something that's come through from Europe uh, and the RLEF. And so uh, we have various tiers of competition and depending on the tier, we'll, uh, there's various numbers on the dom- domestic quota ruling because you're right, in a, in a purely sports development term, you would love to see them all from the domestic scene. But the commercial realities are, and the performance needs of the national team, mean you have to bring in your heritage players. So for, your, for our top tier competition, it's six in 19, but the lowest tier of international competition, it's 12 in the 19 from your domestic quarter players. Fantastic. And it's important, you know, people don't realise like we wouldn't have the success that is Tonga with purely domestic players. So I think it's important. Sorry, Rats, I think you were going to say something there. Um, I was just going to say it's an initiative the RLEF done, which is they're totally right. Um, for world rugby league in the international scene, it must happen. And, and I encourage the international board to sort of take on board the RLEF's mentality. Our game on the weekend, we had real – Giola started, was one of our best, and – not only that, Emmanuel Passera was on the wing and he scored double and just missed out on his third try. So, And he's from the Palmer Cowboys. Beautiful. He spent, of, of a furl initiative, he spent the 2017 tournament as a shadow player, but he did play with Furler in uh, three or four of their games. So Emmanuel is a product that our federation is doesn't have the profile of Giola, but we're very proud of him and what he's achieved. It's fantastic to see more and more of these guys coming through. And, and George, tell me tell me a little about some of your boys and the domestic scene over there. You've got guys like Stefanos Bastos, who played for the Rhodes Knights, and he's now ploughing his trade in League One and in the French divisions as well. Uh, you've got a guy that I've been watching closely over the last 12 months, Thodorus Neonakis, who's currently playing in the Greek domestic competition, who's been really impressive, I feel. Tell me, George, a little bit about some of these domestic players in your squad and the health of the competition over there in Greece for the for the new season. Yep. Okay, so first of all, we've now got seven uh, rugby league teams in Greece, which we're very proud of. And we play all year round. So we play September until June, July and August when it gets very hot and a lot of our people are working seasonal jobs, myself included, uh, we tend to stop. So we have that two-month break period. Um, We've got two women's teams at the moment, and we're working on two more. So hopefully we have an actual women's league very soon. Um, You're right, Stefanos Basta. So he's had quite an interesting journey. He he took a big gamble, credit to him. He, two years ago, went on a one-way ticket to the UK, trialed with Hemel Staggs, who was still in League One at the time. Um, they took him. He made, I think, 12 appearances that season. The following year, because he lives in Sheffield, he was trialling and training with Sheffield Eagles, who, as you know, are one of the best in the championship division. So yeah. we knew it was it was a bit far-fetched, but since they were willing to take him at trainings there for a few months in the city he lived in, we thought it was worthwhile. So he trained for them. He didn't get offered a contract, which... I suppose we all expected. Um, and then he got offered one at Doncaster, which worked out really well. It's not far from Sheffield. Uh, he ended up making nine appearances there at the end of the season. So he was constantly a fringe player. Doncaster are a good side. They brought in Rangi Chase. They were pushing for promotion. They got deep into the playoffs. So 
again, it's it's quite a good club. So at the end of the season, they told him, I think they made a few signings as well. They're really pushing for promotion next year. Uh, they released him. So a few weeks later, uh, thanks to the Doncaster CEO, Carl Hall, he put him in touch with Vinny Anderson, who now coaches the French Elite 2 team, Ville-Gail-Henk, something like that it's pronounced, <laughs> just outside Carcassonne. Yep. Uh, and he's played two matches already with them and played really well from what I've heard. Now he's back with us for international duty uh, and he's going to go back there probably for the rest of the French season and then at, at the end look to maybe go back to England or stay in France. He still has to do his six months of army duty here in Greece at some point. So he's looking to try and squeeze that into a period where it won't interrupt his, his rugby league career so much. And just quickly, you mentioned Theodore Nyanyakis as well. He's been playing the sport only 18 months. He's 23 years old. He was impressive against Norway. He scored two tries. Um, he played well the other night as well against Scotland. Uh, London Scholars asked him to come over for a trial late last season, but he's very busy with his work, his full-time uh, military. So he hasn't found uh, the opportunity yet. And... And as I said, in Bastos's case, it's it's a big gamble. You know, you're, you're going over there, you're not guaranteed a thing. You sort of have to put your life on pause. Uh, very few people are willing to do that. If Nyanyakis is willing at some point to do that, it would be great for his for his development. Uh, but at this stage, he told me he's not able to, unfortunately. It's a shame because I think he's got the goods. Uh, I really do from what I've seen in the Balkan Super League and in that Norway game. So he's um, very impressive for someone that has only first picked up a rugby league ball 18 months ago. Uh, it just goes to show yep. the sort of raw talent that we do have in some of these nations uh, and the potential that we have if we continue to grow and de- develop the game. Uh, George, what do, you, what do you think if Greece qualify? Let's say best case scenario for you guys, Greece qualify for the World Cup. Do you expect a bunch of NRL and Super League players to suddenly discover they have Greek grandparents? Um, I think we've pretty much discovered most of them. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure we get messages almost on a daily basis from people saying, I have a Greek grandfather, <laughs> I'm playing local footy here in um, Byron Bay or something, put me in the team. They don't realise that we have some guys like Billy Magulias and Peter Mamazelos currently playing for us. But we probably will get a few more actual NRL or Super League players I'll let the coach deal with that because we've we've had a really good core of heritage players with us since 2013. So loyalty is going to be a big factor as well. Um, and I think the nucleus, more or less, of the team that we have now, it's going to be a very similar team that we take to the World Cup. Orazio, um, people ask me every day because they, they know my last name's Carboni, so they think I might have some answers, but they ask me every day if, if James Tedesco is going to play for Italy in the World Cup. Now, obviously, that's unlikely because he'll be wearing a Kangaroos jersey. But same question to you. Are there, are there more and more NRO and Super League-based players who, you know, who qualify through Heritage that want to have a look? Look, as George said, we are the same. We get multiple requests of, you know, being to be put in the team. That's why uh, our federation has adopted the structure of having Furla as a body in Australia who are a committee member and have voting rights in the federation. But Furla is empowered to go through all of those players in Australia, provide development to them, put them in touch with their culture and sort through those players. Um, 
the game, and I'm pretty not I'm not sure if very many people realise, but when we played the the game against Malta, that was probably Furl's fifth string side. Wow. Which shows yeah. the depth and the number of players. And also our you know, we've had a great campaign. There will be a focus on loyalty. I can sorry put out there that I have already had a discussion with Aiden Guerrera and he's already prior to this World Cup has committed. James Tedesco, I can tell you one thing about James. He is very proud to wear the Kangaroos jersey, but he's also remembers that he played two World Cups for Italy. I think he is following in the steps of his mentor in Anthony Minichello, and I see James will come back and will play for Italy. Maybe not um, this next World Cup, but you know, who knows? But he will finish his career with um, the uh, an Azuri jersey on as he started. So that's one thing that has been told to me by James and, and I'm sure he will keep his word. That is fantastic to hear. And Chris, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, telecast for some of these Euro qualifiers. So I got to watch the Scotland-Greece game. It was on at a good time. Um, I, I didn't get to watch the Italia-Spain game, unfortunately. But um, for, for the casual fan or the average fan, it's very difficult to find... Uh, these live streams, find the links, figure out where they are. Um, so I, I guess I want to know, you know, what sort of work is being done to try and find, I guess, a, a, a television sponsor or television rights for, for games like these Euro qualifiers just to make it easier for for the fans to see some of these great games because some great rugby league was played in these two games and, and unfortunately not a lot of people would have gotten to see it. No, so you're exactly right, and it's a it's a big area of improvement for the European game in terms of commercialising the sport and getting more eyeballs on the sport in terms of broadcast partners or even streaming partners, as you say. So we reached out to a number of broadcasters, and one of our board members, Paul Nicholson, works in that field, and he works in football and there's people involved in the Lebanese Federation who work in the broadcast markets full-time in their jobs. There was no interest from a broadcast partner, so the responsibility fell on the federations themselves to to stream the games. And they've all done a great job in that and either bringing in a, a paid streaming service, so I know Serbia have done that. Yep. Uh, Italy put it on their Facebook uh, and then other partner, others have brought in local partners and linked up with universities. So we we need to get more eyeballs on the sport, and we need to improve it. And and going forward with the European Championships, we're going to look at reformatting the competition to make it more attractive to commercial and broadcast partners. I'm glad you mentioned the European Championships because, um, as we all know, the Pacific is really growing and. I guess I want to know how Europe keeps up with that. Um, we've heard about European championships. I've heard rumours that, you know, there could be three groups of six, that there could be promotion relegation, that we could see England, France, Wales, Ireland, Scotland, Italy in that top group. Um, Chris, is there anything we can talk about today or are we waiting for some announcements later on down the track? There's some announcements before Christmas, but uh, I don't mind disclosing a few things today. I love it. Europe's great, Europe's great strength is its numbers. So we have two to three times as many nations playing the game under the RLEF than in Asia Pacific. So that globally, we give a 
great amount of credibility to the sport of rugby league just due to the amount of nations playing the sport. So under our umbrella, under the RLEF, there's 21 member nations and 18 observer nations. So it's close to, to 40 nations that are playing the sport. The biggest thing we need to improve on, as I said before, is the commercial and the broadcast partners being brought in to that and, and giving it more exposure because the Southern Hemisphere has better audiences, better broadcast partners and, and better players, even though there's less nations playing the sport. So in order to do that, our top tier competition in the European Championships has traditionally been four nations playing in a league format. So the four nations being France, Wales, Scotland and Ireland. And to, to change that, we're going to bring new nations in and, and expand it to six, make two groups of three and have promotion um, and relegation between the tiers. So the, the end result in the European Championships will be a final. So for the broadcast partner, there will be a, a trophy lift and a flagship event. And that, at that final, we hope to grow the audience and the attendance figure at, uh, at that final. And then later, not next year, but the, the fourth the years after, there will be a relegation game as well. So the, so the nations underneath operating at Euro B and C level will also get exposure to the European Championships, the main Euro A competition. So all in all, we're, we're looking at changing things around in order to get a better product on the field and a better product to sell to people. That's fantastic news. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear that. And they're the types of questions that I do get all the time. I'm wondering how, and this is a left field question, but how do things like the Toronto Wolfpack being in Super League next year, how could that affect Europe? How will it affect Europe? I think it will. It could affect the Americas and the <laughs> Americas competition. That's for sure. And so, there's globally the sport is split up into two confederations. Yep. And uh, the Asia Pacific and the European Federation. Our name is wrong in essence because we cover the Americas. Yep. And we cover the Middle East and Africa Championships. And I think long term, they will separate off and become their own confederations. Yeah. So the America's Championships is a four-team competition with the USA, Canada, Jamaica, and Chile. Brazil, now a new member and wishing to come into that. And I think with the exposure of the Toronto Wolfpack and the audience figures, if the America's Championships was held in Canada and Toronto, and you have an audience of seven to 10,000 watching the Toronto Wolfpack uh, week in, week out. They turn up to America's championship game and a, can, can, a Canadian international game. That will bring far more exposure to the sport uh, and help resource the federation in terms of bringing in money and partners. So it could, could be a great influence. And I do know that the Canadian federation and the Toronto Wolfpack I've certainly improved their relations in the last 24 months and, uh, and are working on a number of initiatives. 
I'm going to ask a final question of all of you guys. It's been a fantastic chat and I know it's difficult with a round table discussion over the phone. So um, thank you for, for your patience and thank you for your, for your honesty throughout this, this conversation. Chris, for you, um, g- give me some future goals for the, for the RLEF. What can we expect in the years to come? I'd love to see a European final with 10 to 20,000 people in attendance and a big global uh, broadcast partner. Our numbers are going to grow. So the 21 members, we've got a, a lot of African nations who are set to make membership applications. So our numbers will probably grow to 25 to 30 members in the in the coming years. And we just need better quality, the, the absolute basics. So coaches will go on about catching and passing and tackling the absolute basics of the sport. And in terms of running federations and exposing it to new audiences, getting better photos out there, better video clips and tries, just doing the absolute basics very, very well. That's what we hope to improve on. Fantastic. And, and George, uh, should Greece defeat Serbia next weekend and qualify for their very first World Cup ever, what would that mean for the sport uh, in, in your home country in Greece? It would be huge for us, obviously. We've been working on this for, for years without perhaps even believing that it it would be possible so soon. Um, But I think if and when it does happen, we need to look at how this can bring long-term growth and uh, results for us because I think we've seen all too often countries playing in the World Cup and then nothing happening on the home front as a result or very little changing as a result. I don't have the answer to it. I don't know what the, the solution is, but if and when we get in, we need to sit down and look at how we can translate that into growth in the number of clubs, in the participation figures. Because for me, that's our long-term goal. It should be number one priority for everyone. And I don't know, I'm going to knock on every media outlet door in the country <laughs> till they give us the exposure that we need. And then hopefully with that exposure, we'll, we'll start getting more people involved, players, clubs, coaches, referees, fans, everything. I love hearing that, George, and I need to congratulate you because the the, the brick walls that, that Greek Rugby League have been up against over the last few years have been immense, and despite all that, here you are on the cusp of a World Cup. So uh, I don't think many people could do what you guys have done. Thanks, and of course it's not a one-man show. We've got a lot of great people here on the ground uh, in Greece, and obviously... Uh, those the Australia based who have come over to help us with the internationals so it's a really good team effort and believe me it took a lot of persistence from all of us and of course it's not over yet Uh, we've still got a battle on our hands but things are still moving forward which is which is nice it's good to see they're moving forward and Orazio last question for you mate so Italy versus Ireland uh, this weekend it's just for bragging rights now you're both in the World Cup uh, but by no means is it a dead rubber. There's plenty to play for. What are you expecting from this game? I think the number one focus is to keep building on the great campaign we've had to date, get our players through injury-free, and give domestic players the opportunity to learn and grow around the more experienced players. We know Ireland are going to be a very, very difficult side, but we'll get out there and give them the best shot we can. Gentlemen, thank you so much. It's been great to talk about some of the successes, uh, the the emphasis on domestic growth in in not only Greece and Italy but all throughout Europe. And I, for one, you know, am really excited to see uh, Europe 
you know, really grow and expand over the next few years and hopefully uh, bring some really strong competition to some of these Pacific nations uh, because, as I said, they're getting much stronger. So, gentlemen, thank you very much and good luck uh, over the next few weeks and for the next World Cups. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Thanks. Cheers. Next up, my chat with Emily Rodge. So I'm here with uh, Emily Rudge, the St. Helens second rower in the Women's Super League and captain of the English Rugby League team. Emily, how are you? How, how are you finding Australia? Yeah, really good, thank you. Uh, really enjoying being out here with the girls. Uh, it started really well with the tour and obviously we had the nines a couple of weeks back, which which we enjoyed. So yeah, it's, it's good to be back here. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were first selected to play for England as a 16-year-old in 2008. Yeah, yeah. Playing for Thado Heath Crusaders. Now, a decade later, and you're playing for St. Helens in the Women's Super League. How has the women's game evolved in your time playing the game? Oh, massively. In in 2008, when I just first started open-age women's rugby, it was just worlds different to where it is now. I think since we started the Women's Super League two years ago, it's just took off massively. And now that we're affiliated to Super League clubs, the backing and the support that we get is just is is real class and, and it's just totally different to what it was. Like you say, 10 years ago, we, we didn't really have a lot of support. Um, so so how it is now and, and where it's going for the next couple of years is, is brilliant. It's definitely one of the big growth areas and you got to have a close look at the Australian and Kiwi sides at the Nines World Cup a few weeks ago. Uh, what yeah. do you think of their skill level and the standard from the ladies over on this side of the world? Yeah, obviously Australia, New Zealand, world-class teams, uh, really class players and athletes and, and that's hopefully something that we strive to be like. You know, we didn't we didn't have the best time in the Nines. I was a little bit disappointed with how we performed and the score lines. But, you know, it, it was a learning curve for us. It's it's not something we we do a lot back in England. We don't, to be honest, for, for a lot of us, it was actually the first time we played nine. Yeah. So, obviously, it's a lot different. But, yeah, I think the way that Australia and New Zealand back the women and the support that they get, that's obviously something that we're trying to emulate in, in the UK. So, it's, it's real positive for us. Now, you got to play... Papua New Guinea at the nines as well. That was one of the games that you guys did have some success with. And you're playing them again in two tests now. Um, what are you expecting from these games? So real physical games, I think. When we played them in the nines, we really felt those games. Um, obviously, we were good enough to get the win, but the, the game itself was real physical. So I think that's what we're going to expect from them. And it'll be, it'll be a tough competition uh, to kind of compete in their in their environment. And obviously the heat and the humidity and everything mm. is a lot different to what we experience in England. So, yeah, I think that'll be, that'll be tough for some of the girls to maybe overcome and, and get used to. Well, and we've all heard stories about how passionate the Papua New Guinean locals are about rugby league. It's a religion yeah. over there. Uh, what are you expecting? Are, are the girls ready for it? Yeah, I think I think we're really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be hopefully a really good atmosphere, really good environment, and the games will hopefully be the support will be there for Papua New Guinea. But that's that's something that we'll look forward to, and and it's a challenge for us. Obviously, there won't be really any a lot of English fans there, but you know that that's a challenge for us, and it's something that we're looking forward to. It's going to be awesome. And and back home, yeah. you play for St Helens, of course, and the yeah. St Hel- everyone knows that Saints' biggest rival is Wigan, and your partner yeah. Gemma Walsh plays for Wigan. So what yeah. what is that like when when Saints play Wigan? You guys do you guys go easy <laughs> on each other or? No, no, not at all. <laughs> the complete opposite. I kind of just have to forget that we're we're married for that <laughs> eighteen minutes. And yeah, Saints and Wigan rivalry is massive. 
and obviously that that kind of carries on into our marriage as well and 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 it's big rivalry and the games are always real competitive so yeah it's it's it was kind of crazy at first and a bit weird to to kind of get over that but we we've done it quite a few times now so it's always something that we kind of look forward to in a in a weird way <laughs> it sounds like it could make for a healthy marriage so maybe some advice for for all married couples out there play some rugby league against each other yeah. and, and just see what happens but uh, <laughs> emily it's been fantastic speaking to you good luck in Papua new guinea and uh yeah have, have a great time while you're over here uh, brilliant thanks a lot for having me cheers Well, that is full time on episode four of the International Rugby League podcast brought to you by Chasing Kangaroos. And the International Rugby League continues this weekend and it all happens on Saturday, depending on which part of the world you're from, I guess. But the PNG Orchids, uh, they'll play against England over at the National Sports Institute in Papua New Guinea. Then the Fiji Barty will play the PNG Kummels in Christchurch, New Zealand We'll play game two against the Great Britain Lions in Christchurch as well. That's part of a double header. And then in European qualifiers, Ireland versus Italy in Dublin, which is which is a dead rubber. They're playing for pride, these two. Uh, they're both into the World Cup, so they'll be planning for that. And then the big one, Serbia versus Greece in Belgrade. The winner of that game will make their very first World Cup in the history of uh, rugby league in those nations. So really exciting times. If you enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe, share it with your friends as well, spread the word about this great game of ours, this this podcast of ours. All feedback is welcome via the International Rugby League and Chasing Kangaroos social media channels as well. I'll include links in the show notes and I've got an incredible feedback. People ask me questions every single day, so feel free to have a chat with me. More than happy to do so. I'm Michael Carboni and I'll be back next week when we focus on this year's Golden Boot Award. This podcast is produced as a collaboration with International Rugby League, formerly known as the Rugby League International Federation, and Chasing Kangaroos. I'm Michael Carboni, and this episode was mixed and recorded by Paul Murchison.